So what we've decided to do for the month of August, these, um, these weeks here for, for four weeks, is to uh, go through a series that we're calling Welcome Sundays. To do something that is not my habit and will not be the norm for us at Christ the King, which is to step away from the Bible reading, which is uh, normally what we do is we read the gospel together and then we preach from the Bible, um, which, you know, arguably should be everyone's habit, I guess, in any church. <laughs> and yet uh, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is talk a little bit about who we are, who we, who we hope to be what well, we believe that God is at work doing through this community and in some respects through this tradition as we worship um, here as Anglicans um, in our attempts to follow Jesus. What we talked about last week, however, was to say, and it feels like a little bit of a disclaimer I want to make every week, um, is that our first commitment is um, to be people who are following Jesus. Uh, we happen to be worshiping in an Anglican tradition, but what will mark our life together as a church as believers is, is him, and our life in him, who he is and our commitment to him. Um, Anglican uh, tradition is, we talked about last week, like, it's like tracks to run on. It's the road that we're walking on in our, our way of following Jesus, but it's not the center of our life together. Uh, he is. And yet I suspect for a lot of people exploring Christ the King, there are questions that they have about this tradition. What is, I mean, I can't even tell you. I worked in an Anglican church before I came to Christ the King, and we would get mail all the time addressed to um, the Anglican Church, um, to the Anglocon Church. Um, I, I, ran, I still run into people all the time, and um, I say, I'm an Anglican priest, and they nod in the way that people nod when they have no idea uh, what you mean, and they don't want to ask, actually. Frankly, I, I don't care to know what that means, is what the look on their face is. Um, so I get it. If you're here and that feels a little bit like where you're coming from, just know you are among friends. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about um, worship and the role of liturgy. And if I say that and you feel immediately like, wow, that does not sound fun to do <laughs> um, or all that terribly relevant, um, maybe hear me say this. I think what we're actually going to talk about today is what we do here. Like, why do we gather on Sundays as Christians? What role does that play in our life with God? Like, does this matter? I know a lot of people who are understandably, rightly questioning church. <coughs> I, we can be Christians without going to church. And I think that that's true. And yet, it seems to play an awfully big role in the New Testament. Certainly played a very big role in my life. Get, it matters. The question is why? What is the point of this time together? So that's what we mean by worship. It is what we do here on Sundays. It's also a lot bigger than that. I hope for you, um, I expect when I say the word worship, you think about songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. But what if our vision, our hope, our expectations for worship became bigger than that? You know, wouldn't that be a gift? If when we talked about worship, it was Sundays and a part of that, but it was also something much bigger that God was doing in our lives. So that's really uh, what I want to talk about is like what we're doing here and, and why it matters. For your real life, as they say, which is kind of the first point. Um, I hear people say a lot. Um, I, I have friends who will talk about um, their spiritual life and their real life. Um, I go to church, but then in real life, it's this way. Or they say that on, on Sundays, but in real life, it's this way. And I, I know what they mean instinctively. 
because we have, whether we intended to or not, or wanted to or not, um, there has been a kind of bifurcation, a separation of like what we do in our spiritual lives on Sundays and otherwise, and in like real life. So here's sort of the first point. Um, you have one life, and all of it is real. <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure, that your whole life is a, is a real one. And if you were to say to Jesus, if you were to ask Jesus about his spiritual life, he would have had a very hard time answering your question. Because he lived an integrated life. Who he was as a person, a human, fully human, eating real food, drinking real drinks, laughing with his friends, working a real job. His real life was one integrated life, fully human and truly holy together. What's hard for so many of us is we live in a world that, again, intentionally or otherwise, separates, compartmentalizes things. You have your work life, your family life, your spiritual life, and what ends up happening is that we feel torn all the time between these selves, these responsibilities, the things, the boxes that I have to check, who I am in this box and versus who I am in this box. So what if I could say to you that I actually do believe that one of the reasons that we gather to worship has a lot to do with integration, with becoming a whole and holy person again. Because if that's why you came, is because what you would like is for God to draw the disparate parts of your life together so that you could be who you really are all of the real time that you live your real life. Wouldn't that be great? Part of what sin has done, the Bible says, the story, is that when sin entered the world, it separated things. It separated God from people. It separated people from people. It separated people from creation. A whole lot of separating happened. We became fractured, I think, from ourselves. So that I increasingly think in terms of like my interior self, you know, and life, and my exterior self and life. And I don't have to explain that to you. You already know what I mean. My interior life includes things like praying, worshiping, going to church, Remembering I have a soul, you know, feeling things. <laughs> That's my interior life. My exterior life is what I do, you know, what I accomplish, how I'm perceived, the stuff I have. And we live in a world that teaches us, forms us to major in exteriors, to spend a whole lot of time and energy and focus on those things. And then we end up sort of like dividing out our lives based on them. I want to pair up with other people whose exteriors match mine, you know? And I feel the most comfortable because the world around me is devoted to the exterior. I'm my real self when I'm majoring in those things, which is why it gets weird all of a sudden if you notice when you try to talk about God with your friends, unless you already have wonderful friends. But a lot of us struggle to find those friends. It's much easier to talk about the TV that I'm watching or the band I'm listening to or where I like to eat my food or the clothes I like to buy. We all feel at home, you know? It's like that's real life. We're talking about those things. 
and you start asking me how I'm doing, about my feelings, what I believe, about who God is, you ask me to pray out loud in front of you. And what happens? All of a sudden, we're not home anymore. We feel like we've entered into someplace foreign, some alternate life. What if I was to tell you that I think worship and this time together is an act of reclaiming home, of reclaiming an integrated life, that I am a whole person. I'm meant to be able to talk about what I believe about who God is, about my feelings, my loves, that I can be known for those things in the same way I'm known for all the stuff I do, you know? That they both are a part of who I am, define who I am. I actually do believe that's what we're doing when we come together. We're reclaiming territory. And if that sounds like strangely defiant to you in some like dramatic or weird way, I just don't want you to underestimate how defiant I actually think that it is. You have an, you have an enemy. You came to an Anglican church, you were not expecting it to get charismatic, were you? <laughs> you have an enemy who loves how comfortable you are being known by the outside. Spending all of your time, energies, and efforts managing the exterior and forgetting increasingly that you have a soul. That actually, that when God created the world and people, that praise was our mother tongue. Actually, in your most natural state, you give glory to God in the same way the trees do, the birds do, and everything else. And that you can be very much at home in doing that. And it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be weird. In fact, it only feels weird because our home has been co-opted to some degree. Worship is about, if sin has separated us, disintegrated things, then I think worship has as its aim reintegration. The word that the Bible uses is reconciliation between God and people, people and people, praise. And that requires some work that we do together, some intentionality. Anglicans have an old word that they use for that work. The word liturgy, which is the word that we use to describe this, the bulletin that you had when you came in, that is kind of like a script for church, you know, is how I would describe it to my friends. This is the liturgy. Liturgy comes from an old word that means the work of the people. Liturgy, this liturgy even, it's really old. It's been adapted several times, but Christians from the earliest days of the church had a liturgy, meaning they had a way of doing things when they got together. They had words that they would say in common, songs that they would sing, communion, habits, practices. All that is part of what it means to belong to a liturgical church. Now here's the thing. There is no such thing as a church that is non-liturgical, that doesn't have a liturgy. <clears throat> it may not look like this one, but they have one. I grew up in the Baptist church. Um, the altar call and listening to the special was a part of our liturgy. We did it every week. I knew when it was coming. And it formed me over time. 
So there's no such thing as going to, I would argue, any space and not being shaped and formed by it. Your favorite restaurant has a liturgy. Your college has a liturgy. Your sorority, your fraternity, I promise you, has a liturgy. Life in this world has a liturgy. So the question is not whether or not you're liturgical. The question or not, the question is, is the liturgy, the formation that I am living into, is it good for me or not? Is it shaping me and forming me in the ways that make me a more integrated, a more whole person? Is it helping me, like, get back to Eden? So that increasingly, who I am is the same in all the spaces that I occupy. Is it reminding me, for example, that God is who he says he is? The great sin of Eden, the thing that tore it all apart, was what? Do you remember? You can say, it's a safe space, small you're not in the big church anymore. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what do we do? We did what? We did a thing. Yeah, we ate the fruit. Reached out and we took it. So, yes, there was the thing that happened here. There was also the thing that happened, you know, it made us do a thing. Just how it always works. Whatever you believe in your heart, it's coming out. You know, they work together. The, the chief tragedy of Eden is that we chose to be like God over being with God. We decided in a moment that we preferred one to the other. I'd rather be like him, which was the temptation, right? You eat this, you get to be like him. Oh, that means I can't be with him in the same way because he told me not to eat it. Ah. And that's where it all fall, fell apart. And here's the thing. How many times does the reason I know the Bible is true the reason I know that story is true is because how many times in my life does that story play itself out over and over and over again? I can be like God, or I can be with God. Oh, I like power. I like attention, praise. I like all those things. Being safe. What if I could just get those things on my own the way I wanted to? means you can't be with God the same way. Yeah. Tough. He'll probably forgive me, though. He'll be okay. That plays itself out, consciously or unconsciously, over and over again in all of our lives. God is God, and we are not. What if worship and this act of reconciliation is about learning how to be with him and accepting that we're not like him? He gets to be God, and I am not. I am not the center of the universe. It's a hard thing for me to accept or believe, but it's true. Or believing it's true is sort of the first point of worship. I come into a space where I'm reminded that I am not the center, that in order to be with God, I have to put him in his rightful place and I have to take mine. So the way that we do worship on Sundays, this liturgy has been designed, it's been crafted to tell that story. So for example, every Sunday we take communion, which is not just something that like 
Anglicans do or liturgical Christians do, I would submit to you, Christians have been gathering around the communion table from the earliest days of the church. When Jesus died and was resurrected and then he ascended to heaven and they had to get together, they didn't have a plan. The only plan they had was, you remember when Jesus told us to eat that meal? We better do that. Every time we get together, we'll sing psalms, we'll pray prayers, we'll eat that meal. Doing it every week doesn't make it less special, y'all. And I, I appreciate the commitment, the value of revering it. It ought to be revered. I come to this table, though, now like somebody who is desperate to be fed by God. Christians came around the table every week in order to be reminded we serve a crucified God, firstly, who died. We worship a God who died, who died so that we could live. That'll preach if you know the story. And I need to hear it every single week. I worship a God who died, and he died so that I could live. That's the gospel, and I need it every single week. I need it in my mouth and in my bones like I need it in my heart. So in order to do this liturgy every single Sunday, it takes up space. It means I can't preach 45-minute sermons. <laughs> it means that my charismatic personality isn't the center that holds this thing together. It will be this story, this Jesus, this gospel. We read from the Bible every single week, long passages, scripture. Sometimes they're weird, <laughs> confusing, frustrating. Sometimes they're a gift. Why? Why take up so much time reading the Bible when, you know, could be watching a video or any other much cooler things that we could all think of to do. Everywhere I go, I watch a video. <laughs> Every minute of my life, the screen begs for my attention. And I forget that by faith, Abraham left his home country to know God. I forget that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And if you don't tell me, I forget where I'm from and where I'm going. This story is what holds us together. And we need it now because it's too easy to forget. But it takes up a lot of space, you know? The way that we worship here, regardless of how this liturgy shifts or changes over time, the point are those things. How is it forming and shaping us? Who are we becoming as people? Are we becoming more fully human and more truly holy? Would you like to be someone who could pray out loud and not feel ashamed? You don't have to answer out loud. But would you like to? Are you a man in America, a family and a job? The whole world is taught to revere you, and you can't pray out loud in front of your friends. If that feels like an injustice to you or a violation, it's because it is one. Mm. Something has been taken from you. 
We've given you one vision of what it means to be a human, to be a man or to be a woman. We've traded it for a lesser version. We're being shaped and formed together. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our commitment as a community is to keep that at the forefront of who we are and what we're doing. I want to be more fully human. All of this matters to me only in so much as it is in the service of that, of being like him. Really, apart from that, it's just like everything else I do, you know? And I can do cooler things, frankly. Jesus says in that really hard text, this is my last thought. In one of his apocalyptic moments, we don't talk about apocalyptic Jesus very often. I have a fire, and oh, that I wish it were kindled, Jesus said. I have fire to bring. I wish it was kindled. We'd rather picture him with lambs, you know. We like lamb Jesus. <laughs> For whatever reason, him holding the lambs, we feel good with that. We feel good with him touching sick people. But man, Jesus out in the street saying, I have a fire to bring, and I wish that it was kindled. It's harder to know what to do with um, that Jesus. But here's what I know about whatever that means. It's a hard text. I know that the more that I am kindled with the fire of Jesus, it will separate me from the ways of the world. You only have to worry about it dividing you from people if those people are also not committed to him. It will divide you. It doesn't mean you're not in a relationship with them. You'll just feel separated from them in some ways. You'll feel less like them in some ways doesn't mean you're not in a relationship. doesn't mean you don't love them. You'll just feel yourself being torn out of one world, one pattern, one way of doing things and brought closer to Jesus. You'll feel yourself going home. And that will create a kind of separation from the world around you. It'll have less appeal is the truth of it. Just money won't matter as much and what people think of you won't matter as much and you'll just feel yourself separating from all those things. And here's what I know about the fire of Jesus. Jesus was not a, a, like a flamethrower, you know what I mean? When he says I have a fire to kindle in the earth, he's not exactly coming like Zeus with his lightning bolts, you know, throwing fire at everybody else, putting everybody else on the outside. What I know about Jesus is that when he brings fire, he goes into the flames himself first. Jesus walked through the flames himself. And he burned with a light and a life from God that drew other people to his light. So what he's saying is, if you follow me, I will kindle you. Like that bush that Moses saw. And it will be weird. To some people. They'll be who you're made to be. Real life. Real life. Real love, the unafraid kind, the unapologetic kind, real kind. So, if you're into that sort of thing, mm -hmm. I guess, maybe it's time that you, like, committed to figuring out what he means, to worshiping on purpose, with intention, whatever that looks like for you. But if you want to do it with us, we'd love for you to be here.